It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. At the bottom of the hour, Harris Faulkner will join us before she starts her show at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Fox News Channel. Get her perspective on everything from the lead-up and the postponed and the postgame on the 9-11 20 years later. And in the backdrop, the whole thing was about Afghanistan. And the way we left and the fact that Taliban were celebrating that they're back in power just made everything more painful and and. More anger-filled. The President of the United States, though, will put it all behind him as he once again tries to change the subject and flies 3,000 miles away to campaign for Gavin Newsom, the pathetic governor of California, in the midst of a recall, now needs the vice president, the uh, the, uh, celebrities, as well as the President of the United States to come out and campaign for him in order to keep a job that he got elected with 62% of the vote. Uh, Now they're recalling him. The numbers look good that he's going to keep his job. But the fact that he's even being challenged, if it's even close, it'll be a big loss for the party. It just shows you what's looming in 2022, I believe. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've been very clear, I think, and I think a strategic pause is necessary right now. What we do know is that basically the need for this, the emergency to do something in the next week is not there. Right. Uh, We've said that. And Joe Manchin sounds normal in saying it, but he's causing a lot of uh, a lot of riptides within the Democratic Party in trouble. That's what the Democratic Party is in right now when it comes to two bills on infrastructure. They are at war with themselves. Sanders and Manchin and AOC. This is the week they wrote their cradle to grave social spending. And next week, passed bipartisan bills and the two sides could not be further apart. If one doesn't pass, the other one won't either. Keep your fingers crossed. Number two. He's got no authority to do what he's doing. He even admitted he couldn't do this, and his administration admitted that. And when Biden is violating the Constitution, we are going to be on the front line with a full-spectrum response. And that is the least that we can be doing. Making it worse. President Biden says he's losing patience with us, but is insulting us with sweeping vaccine mandates. Did he just make the vaccination effort more political and more adversarial? Yes, but Republicans and even my, many doctors agree he's creating more of a problem. Number one. Of the people that we took out of Afghanistan, how many of them were vetted before they got on the plane? What are you going to do with them? How are you going to vet them now that we got them? Are you going to recognize the Taliban? Are you going to give any aid to the Taliban? And how many people did we leave behind that helped us during the last 20 years? Blinken in the hot seat, the first of many congressional hearings over his catastrophic evacuation from Afghanistan, leaving that country to the Taliban, al-Qaeda, China, while everybody else that doesn't like us is now there, leaving our allies in the dust and many actual Americans still in country. What would you ask him if you had the chance? Republicans will only get three minutes to do it, stunningly. First off, let's begin in Afghanistan because the president doesn't want us to. Why? Because it's the most important and it's just such an epic fail. Mike Morrell, who 
was a was CIA uh, former deputy director of the CIA was a uh, was the briefer for President Bush as well as Obama. He was the guy who gathered the intel. Uh, was mentored by George Tenet and company. Uh, he looked at what's happening with Al Qaeda, and he sees what's going on. Now, just to back up before I let you hear what he said over the weekend, which is not getting enough play, we'll change that. The CIA director met in Pakistan. Why? Because we're no longer in Afghanistan. So if we want to have eyes and ears in the region, we got to be in a neighboring country. Russia said, I don't want you setting up in any of the stands, you know, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, all these things. Really? Why don't we create our own relationships with them and do it anyway? But we're not because Joe Biden gives in to everybody except Republicans. Next, They said, what about Pakistan? We're not going to sit up in Iran or China. So we had our CIA director go over there. And guess what? The Prime Minister Imran Khan said, you'd have to think twice if the United States thinks they're going to be able to uh, aptly base here, reestablish a base here. Guess who else was there? Before them, Iran, Russia, and China, all establishing relations because they know Pakistan sponsored the Taliban and put them back in power and helped with the invasion from plotting, planning, and supplying. Zawahiri, Al-Qaeda leader, on tape probably a month ago, saying basically, we won, you lost. And proving he's not dead. And number three, he's in Afghanistan. Didn't the President of the United States tell us Al-Qaeda doesn't have a presence in Afghanistan? We knew that wasn't true, just like we knew the Taliban would be taking over the country. The CIA told him so, and he knew it because we found out from a call that he was briefed on it, and he told Kahani to change the perception, if not the reality, which translates to lie. So where are we at now? Mike Morrell, cut one. So right now, the, the, the places I'm most worried about are ISIS in Africa and Al-Shabaab in Somalia. Um, but longer term, I worry most about al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, and and ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Why? Because at the end of the day, the most important thing that a a terrorist group can have, the most important determinant of their success is safe haven, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, And you have safe haven in Afghanistan that you really can't have anywhere else because you're being harbored now by the Taliban. And Afghanistan's a big place. It's tough to get to. It's tough to find partners. We just heard about that earlier in the show. So that's why I worry more about Afghanistan. Yeah, I told you Sue Gordon. I played just three times. Uh, Sue Gordon, uh, higher up at the uh, Director of National Intelligence. I think she was number two for about eight years. Spent her career doing this. Not somebody just appointed as a friend or just because she was good at something else. You put her in something uh, that she may or may not excel at. This is what she did for a living. Says we're going to have to make alliances with non-traditional partners. Iran, Pakistan, Russia, and China. More non-traditional. Can you say enemies? So we have a problem, a huge problem. Our enemy is basing. They're getting financing. They're going to be an established government. Who knows? They might even have a seat at the U.N. Charlie Degata, who's a reporter with CBS, had this report on Face the Nation. And I give this to you because it's CBS, it's on Face the Nation, and it's somebody that actually knows Afghanistan and knows the region. Cut five. Right after William Burns came on Wednesday, a couple days later, just uh, on Saturday, uh, the intelligence chiefs of Russia, 
China, Iran, and other local countries here met with the intelligence leaders here as well. So there is a sense that the United States is being sidelined. Uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan said you have to think twice if the United States thinks they're going to be able to apply a base here, reestablish a base here. So the U.S. may need, they do need, to have some sort of footprint here. But for the time being, they're being pushed out by other players. You know what bothers me most is they're only getting three minutes. So we had Rodney Jackson on television today, and he says everybody's getting three minutes. Some will be on Zoom. Some won't even be there. They don't have to be back till I think, the 20th. So he'll be able to escape. Do you listen to Anthony Blinken talk? Any, any of these diplomats, they're used to filibustering for a living. So as soon as you get some traction, let alone if you have a longer question, he's going to be out of it. My hope is people follow up, and Democrats are reportedly just as incensed as Republicans, the ones that are really patriotic and not worried about the election. you got a year into the election. You have to know the national security. This is 20 years after 9-11. This could happen. One guy that's been at the forefront of the criticism is Michael McCall, ranking member on the Intelligence Committee. He'll be asking some of the questions. Cut six. Yeah, I want to hear from him. Uh, why did this go so bad? How did he get it so wrong? Why didn't he listen to the intelligence community warnings uh, since April and May of this last year, uh, telling us, telling me, uh, that the Taliban was going to take over, the Afghan army was going to fall, and the embassy would be uh, in trouble? Instead, they listened to, you know, uh, Zal Khalizad, the special envoy, this rosy dream that they were going to somehow negotiate a, a last-minute deal with the Taliban was absolutely uh, fantasy world. Uh, and not, you know, it was like a Yale faculty lounge rather than, you know, a war on the ground. Uh, I want to know why he left uh, American citizens behind. Why did the military evacuate before American citizens? You know, I want to know why our interpreters who put their lives on the lines and fought with our special forces, uh, why were they left behind? Obviously, he knows what he's talking about, and he'll be direct. My hope is he'll be short. The other part I want to bring up. Now, I know there are mistakes in war. We chronicled it constantly with Iraq and Afghanistan. But I was pretty amazed that after the attack, we weren't able to stop it. We warned uh, they're going to be targeting the airport. They're going to be targeting the airport. And when they finally hit, we didn't have any intelligence on the suicide bomber. They killed almost 200 Afghans and 13 Americans while wounding 20 more. So all of a sudden, a couple of days later, we hear about a drone strike and then another. So we, they said these, we had ISIS-K, we had intelligence, we took them out. Now, this wasn't over the horizon. This is stuff that we found out on the ground. So then the New York Times and Washington Post wanted to find out who we killed. And here's what they found out. The video evidence, along with the interviews of more than a dozen of the drivers, co-workers, and family members in Kabul, raised doubts of the version of events from the U.S. State and Defense Department including whether explosives were present in the vehicle, whether the, driver had, whether the driver had connections to ISIS, and whether there was a secondary explosion that they claimed that proved that there were going to be a car bomb or there were suicide vests. The Times reported that I identified the driver as Zamari Amati, a longtime worker for a U.S. aid group. The evidence suggests that his travels that day actually involved transporting colleagues to and from work. And an analysis of video feed shows that the military may have seen what the military may have seen was Amadi and a colleague loading canisters of water into his truck 
to bring home his to his family. His family, many of which are all dead. Why? The U.S. military has acknowledged that three civilian casualties, 10 members of his family overall, including seven children, were killed in the strike. A 20-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 10-year-old, along with a 7-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 2-year-old, and two 3-year-olds. We screwed up. Bush, Obama, I'm sure we had civilian casualties. But this guy had the most humiliating ejection, retreat from a country in our nation's history. And when he does strike, he kills kids. And now no one's reporting it. They're talking about some would-be protest that might be in the Capitol, that might have some Trump supporters storm the Capitol again, which we know is never going to happen. Just hope you're smarter than that. And that's why you keep listening to the show. one 408 7669 I definitely want you to come back with your phone calls in just a second. Just a quick reminder. The president and the freedom fighter is coming out. It's Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the battle to save America's soul. So I'm going to be talking about winning the war in history, and I'm going to be talking about these two great Americans who made our country so much better and came from the most, um, the toughest childhoods you can imagine. One, the brutality of slavery, the other, abject poverty. And now they came together at the right time because America needed the most. Their story is in the President of Freedom Fighters. You can pre-order it. It comes out in November. But I'm going to be in Charleston, West Virginia, November 7th. I'll be in Orlando, Florida, November 21st. Uh, on stage, Ponte Vedra, Florida, December 3rd, in Clearwater, December 4th, and I'll have a chance to meet with you uh, for the VIP opportunities, be on stage, and give you an idea of what made America great and how to win the war in history. So go to BrianKillMe.com now. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Working for the government and ordering government workers to um, have to have a mandate, there's one thing. Extending that to two-thirds of all the jobs and making it either get vaccinated or not, it's also contradictory logically, George, because what they're telling us is, by all the data, that vaccinated people are very, very well protected from anyone who's unvaccinated and who has it. Yet they're saying to us, we have to do this to protect you. Well, that's protecting the unvaccinated from the unvaccinated. They're making choices. They are making choices. And just keep in mind, 75% of the country has got one shot that's eligible to get a shot, okay? 75% of the country. This is not the problem. Unvaccinated are uh, susceptible to the Delta virus. I'm not a nurse. I've not seen what's going on. I just saw a a shot that Idaho uh, uh, hospitals are getting overrun. Okay. Uh, I know the numbers are high in Florida, but I also know the vaccination rate in Florida is above the national average, way above. So it's strong. Other places trying to get the point across to get vaccinated. It's not because it's Donald Trump supporters. Guess what? The numbers with the highest rate, along with high school graduates, are PhDs. The other problem you have is minority communities. Why don't you have some courage, President Biden, and go after the people that put you in office? Minority vote delivered you the White House, right? That at least got you the nomination, correct? So you might have their ear and attention and influence. Why don't you bring that up? Why? Because if you start being perceived as going after a minority community, 
that might hurt your constituency. Instead of showing the courage to lead and going after the right people, instead of saying my patience is wearing thin, why don't you go after the people that aren't vaccinated? Because we're tired of hearing it. And we don't like being talked to like that as Americans. I saw 52% of the country do not want vaccine mandates. 45% are okay with it. But what you do now, if you have the president of the United States trumping doctors, why is so many medical professionals not getting the shot? In New York State at a hospital, they are so upset that they're mandating people get vaccinated that they're refusing to deliver babies. I mean, that's what this is coming down to. You're arguing with PhDs and medical professionals, and yet you're actually going after directly Trump, um, Trump supporters, which if you had any guts, you would just say it was the previous administration that came up with the vaccine. Why reluctant now? And acknowledge that maybe you shouldn't have said what you said when you said if Donald Trump was uh, giving it, I think twice about it, as Kamala Harris had said a couple of times. So vaccination is one thing. Testing is another thing. The other thing I, I don't understand is why isn't the and we got to get these people on. Why is Regeneron and not in every hospital? Why is that not on every shelf? Why is that not the story? When you get this virus, whether you're vaccinated or not, how are you treated? For the most part, we see people go to the hospital, wear a hospital ground and wait to get on a ventilator. I mean, there's got to be something else. But in terms of this mandate that came out and the anger in which he showed not to China, not to, uh, you know, not to the Taliban, but to you. Here's what Governor Asa Hutchinson had said, cut 25 of Alabama. Problem is that I'm trying to overcome resistance. It divides our partnership between the federal government and the states, uh, and it increases the division in terms of vaccination when we should all be together uh, trying to increase uh, the vaccination uptake. We'll see whether it's actually constitutional or not. Uh, I've never seen this type of uh, federal uh, action uh, in terms of uh, health care, in terms of, of uh, vaccinations. It's always been done at the state level. And let's think about this for a second. We have some very aggressive governors from blue states, but I'm not aware of any governor from any state that mm -hmm. said we want to mandate businesses to require vaccinations. That is Governor Hutchinson. What's significant about him is he has not been at war with the White House. He does know that Arkansas has got to do a better job getting vaccinated. He is going to do town halls. He is listening to what he says is disinformation that he thinks are on right-wing websites. And he just said, President Biden, you've made my job harder. The Governor Ricketts of Nebraska, you've made my job harder. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, this hardens people's beliefs and makes it, makes it more polarizing. What he cares about is just not talking about Afghanistan or the border or inflation. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We are more at risk, without a doubt, because we haven't yet, as we heard from, from Representative Kinziger, we haven't yet put together a strategy for how we're going to do the two things. So one right is to collect that intelligence that I talked about. 
The intelligence community's got to figure that out. Then the Department of Defense has to figure out this over-the-horizon capability, right? So when the intelligence community says, Mr. President, they're rebuilding again. They're getting to the point where they can attack the homeland again. And the president says, take action. The military has to be able to reach in and degrade al-Qaeda, right? We haven't figured those two things out yet. Yeah, that was Mike Morrell going over. He's former deputy director of the CIA yesterday on Face the Nation, going on how much difficult our job is going to be in finding out intelligence on the ground about the next Islamic extremist attack. And we just saw it. Uh, over the horizon is not going to be effective, much different than Somalia and Yemen and Nigeria when we talk about these other uh, African-based Islamic extremist groups. But now they're all reporting to duty uh, in Afghanistan, and we're not there Yesterday, we understand our CIA director over the weekend attempted to meet with Pakistani uh, prime minister. Guess who beat him there? Russia, China, and Iran. With me right now is Harris Faulkner. She's been all over the the same story, too, host of the Faulkner Focus. It begins from 11 to 12. She also has a a great special on Fox Nation available right now when seconds count. And we got cuts from it. We paid the rights fee just to air it here on radio. No, you get that stuff for free. Yes. Well, I get a discount. You're such a star on Fox Nation. Right. No, I love Fox Nation, right? I mean, isn't it fantastic? Uh, But, Harris, before we get to that, just what we're looking at now. And Mike Morell, I, I just love when you have experts on these other channels that want to run away from this story. And he briefed President Obama and he briefed uh, uh, President Bush, likes them both. And this is a four alarm, a five alarm fire for him. This is a five alarm fire for everybody. It's just Hope that so. some people want to pretend like it's not burning. And, and, you know, I mean, I guess you can call it politics. You could call it ignorance. You could call it a lot of things. But what we do know for certain is we left people behind. Our president said that we weren't going to do that. Um, and now it's going to take a special forces situation to go in there. And anybody thinks that other countries are going to be as good at getting our people out. Look, Qatar's been helpful. They have been. Of course, now we have a problem landing once we get our people in the air. So, you know, right. not everybody wants to be our friend. But to say that China and Russia got there before our people, they have been getting there before our people all along. I mean, think about the intelligence that it would have taken to take Bagram Airport. I have a lot of questions about what our Pentagon tried maybe to tell this president about the real capabilities of who was on the ground. When do we get that story? Uh, I think you have to chase it. I think you have to go after it. I think you've got to look. I like Jen Psaki's Bob. She looks beautiful, but I'd go for less of a blowout and and more information whenever she gives those talks. Like, I'm not looking for fashion at that hour. I don't need to circle back with her hairdresser. I don't mean to pick on her hair. She is lovely. Well, no, I know what you're saying. But but you know what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, I'm not interested in anybody showing up in that room and having anything other than a really hard conversation. By the way, I thought those Pentagon briefings were really good. Our Jennifer Griffin was in good company with some of the men- members of the mainstream media. I don't know where they are now because the story is not over just because President Joe Biden decides that he wants to talk COVID now. COVID's been around for it'll be two years in December. So so we we can figure this out. We will figure this out. We have problems right now. We have people dying. That story is persistent. In fact, I hope that Afghanistan doesn't look like that because that's been his track record for attacking things now. He's got to change. I get it. Change the direction. Because America is saying in droves now, north of 60 percent, people don't like it. People don't like the direction of the country. Right. So he's got to But but he doesn't have to change every topic, Brian. He said he could handle all things multitask. And he's given the woman 
He said he was going to hire a black woman, and he did. Um, she's our vice president now. He's given the woman a lot of jobs. How's that going? Well, again, I would love to be, you know, and I think what you and I do, we, we get our press passes, we go to the press briefings, and we ask tough questions. We augment Peter Ducey. We, we backstop some people, and I'm not joking about that. You and I ask questions for a living on several different platforms. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's time to, to give people a little bit more than what they're getting in that room. Well, I think two things that are so under underreported. And, I'm not joking, by the way. Right. Either am I. Uh, but is this phone call. Not only the phone call to Gahani, when this is the fundamental premise that yeah. we never knew Kabul was going to fall so quickly. And nobody could have predicted it. Then we find out the transcripts of the phone call yeah. and he they said knew. change the perception they knew and if you understand if you're a military person and you can't judge the strength of an army that you built you don't you are you are negligent in your duty what do you mean you didn't know they were going to fall that's your job to know they're going to fall do and you if believe you did, that but do you believe that those generals really didn't know do you believe that those people on the ground and command didn't know or do you think we have a commander-in-chief who chose not to pick that narrative I believe that Mark Milley got caught on that tra- on another transcript saying the perception is you're losing. Change that perception. And I'm thinking to myself, perception and optics from a general? You're telling yeah. Gahani, a college professor at Johns Hopkins, who we put in there, change the perception? So what are you saying? Like, they're all culpable or I need you to stand up and resign and say, listen, I told them. What they said is very interesting. I'm going to, you know, how many uh, sold, How many troops can I keep there? You can keep 600. Then I can't keep Bagram Air Base. The president goes, well, my recommendation from the military was you can't keep Bagram Air Base. But the bigger story is you only gave me 600 guys to work with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you, you're, you're looking at a situation where somebody wanted a date certain. They, they wanted to get out before September 11th. And by the way, let's not forget that we're not the only people who are invested in that date. What date did Benghazi happen on? I know people's eyes glaze over and they're like, oh, my gosh, we're going down the rabbit hole of Benghazi, blah, 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 blah. People on the left, people on the right. Are we going to fight over that again? Can't we agree on this one thing? When you give the enemy a date and you capitulate to every rule that they set just to make that date, you've surrendered 20 years of war. And either we're honest about that. You mentioned over the horizon and the lack of capability that we have to quickly get there. Yeah. Uh, once those scorpions nest and then start shooting outside their boundaries, right? Yep. Um, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas said, look, I don't call it over the horizon. I call it over the rainbow because it's not real. Right. We can do a lot, but we can't do enough to fight the people that are now on the ground in Afghanistan from a distance. And and Trump Trump started was a big mistake, I think, to go directly with the Taliban. My opinion, I thought about it then and I said it then. But having said that, if you just explain to the American people, which Trump has actually in a speech did it in 2017, I'm not for an endless war either, but I want a presence, and here's why. This is what I'm able to do. You don't have to give specifics. We did not know how many CIA bases we had. We had a lot. So because we're able to be there, we're able to stop X, Y, and Z, and this is why it's worth the investment. Now, we have to gradually stop paying for the institutions of Afghanistan. I get it. I get but that. if you explain to us after 20 years, we all went to Terry University. We all got it. Not yeah. just Fox, but our listeners, our viewers understand the danger. 
and everyone has their own opinion. They had but another graduation ceremony over the weekend on yeah, 11. they we, did. We get it. I, I get the metaphor. So, but, Harris, before I want to do for both segments, but I do want to get in this segment. When seconds count, yes. uh, for people listening right now, might have to run to work. Maybe they have a brand-new schedule after Labor Day. Uh, that's a look not at 911, just an emergency from 911. This is what emergency workers do. Yeah, this is EMTs. This is, you know, firefighters, police officers, uh, sheriff's deputies, those people that show up first, whoever they are. Um, when they get there and we are at our worst, we've made bad decisions as the human beings that, that we are. They become the heroes that we need. And they don't have to be asked to do that. It's what they're dedicated to. And it is when seconds count. There's some magnificent stories. I, I went and spent some time at a firehouse in South Orange, New Jersey. Um, it's just an electric place, lots of energy. They got a lot going on there, and we visit different parts of the country. Um, it's really, really special to celebrate what they're doing, but also to understand that we're all human together and we make mistakes and we get in accidents and we, and we depend on them. And in a time when we're talking defund and all this other stuff, Brian, right. it is time also to recognize what we would miss if it were not there. So let's listen to, here's a little of the special now available on Fox Nation. 911 was notified by several passerbys to include two separate phone calls that were made by the two occupants within the structure itself. We had had three other fires that afternoon. Some guys uh, getting some gear cleaned up uh, when this call was dispatched just before midnight. So that uh, happened on April 12th. Mm -hmm. So that is just a sample of a day, correct? Yeah. A sample of a day, and we've had a year with fires. Um, a sample of a day could be, we have this one story where this little toddler falls into the pool. And I mean, you just, these are things that can happen to anybody, especially these summer months, right? You take best your parent. eyes off. Yeah. Best, but you're visiting somebody's house. Maybe they don't have a fence line like you would have at your house because you're used to having kids around. But I mean, these are the moments that really change our lives. And, and they're trying, as EMTs and, and professional law enforcement and lifesavers, as I call them, they're trying to make sure that those lives are changed in such a way that you have a story to tell that has a happy ending. Right. So uh, Harris is going to preview her show. And when we come back, we're going to hear uh, what that call was like when that child fell in the pool as part of the special When Seconds Count, available right now on Fox Nation. And, of course, uh, Harris not done after that. She goes and uh, co-hosts Outnumbered from 12 to 1. Back in a moment, that story and so much more. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So we ran to the pool saw him face down and we just jumped in. His dad gave him to me and I immediately started CPR. Our phones were gone because we jumped in the pool. So we were screaming, you know, help, someone call 911, help. I was glad that I was able to focus and concentrate to do CPR on him, make sure he survived before the first responders got there. I was like in tunnel vision. I did not see anybody else around me. I was just focused on him. You know, the dispatch lady on the phone was just asking me what my address was, and I was like a drill sergeant, you know, just 
going to the beat of my compressions talking to her at the same time. Well, I'm right. Yeah, this uh, Harris Faulkner special, it's called When Seconds Count, available right now on Fox Nation. So that is just another story. How does it, do you want yeah. to, do you mind giving it away? Does, oh, no, I don't want to give it away, but I will say this. Um, who you are in those moments as the parent, as the first person there, so important because when the first responders hit the ground, they literally come in and take over. And, you know, you, it helps to be able to communicate and to be able to do whatever you can. I've taken CPR um, many times in my lifetime because you need a refresher. After doing When Seconds Count, I, I realized I need to do it again and again and again and to be ready because any of us can be called up. And sometimes those dispatchers have to deploy whomever they have to set up the best situation until the experts get there. One of the things that I think you'll get from this is the reminder of when you go hiking, mm-hmm. like we have one in Phoenix and you know, it's always deadly hot there. Right. And you know, if you're out and about and you're a tourist or you're whatever it is, keep your head about you because when they come in to save you, they're like doing everything they can. And whatever you can communicate at that point is always going to help. So that's what I love about that toddler story. I don't want to give it away because you won't know really how it all turns out and, and all of that. Some of these were really, um, well, we don't know. Wow. You've got to watch it. But it's, it's uh, natural drama. You don't have to write it. Uh, this hacks, this is, happens every no, single day around the country on a regular absolutely. basis. Absolutely. I and, mean, you don't, you don't sell this. Right. And it's like I tell people, people are like, oh, you stay so calm during breaking news. And I'm like, well... If it's really bad news, what am I shouting about? Because I have to tell millions of people of, you know, what's happened. And so with what I love about doing this look at heroes in our communities is that it's mostly their voices. It's the natural sounds of getting there and hearing the gasp of whomever is in trouble or the chopper blades or whatever it is as they go in. We nearly lost two sheriff's deputies. That won't ruin it because you won't know where that happened. But when you look at these guys putting their lives on the line, I mean, you're, you're holding your breath, too. That, that doesn't really need a lot. That just needs the right. seconds that it takes. And think about this, Harris. A lot of it is volunteers. So when you oh. get out of the major cities, these Amen. are volunteer firemen. Yeah, that's right. And and they're like, okay, I got 20 jobs. I'm in the middle of a barbecue. And you get a call. Yeah. And not only when you show up, you got to be ready to go. You've got to be ready to go. So. Ready to roll. So, yeah. So thank you for giving me an opportunity. Yeah. You know this is an important topic to me. I mean, I've done police specials on the network. The people who protect us um, need more than just that thumbs up at the grocery store. We need to know what they're doing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're doing so much more than most people do every single day. And you're right. As you fan out from these largest municipalities, they're doing it because it's the love of them and the dedication that they have to the moment. You know, it's interesting. Last night I was watching 60 Minutes, an incredible special on the fire to fighters and the ones what they did to, up until the last moment of 9-11. You see footage Amazing. that we never saw before. And then uh, they said that they, this one guy, uh, I think it's Pete Ganji who is this uh, firefighter officer. Uh, was it Pete Allison? I don't know if you we, we look it up. I hope it's not. It's a legendary family, and he gives a speech to the Academy. And he gave in the speech, he said, nobody here will ever be rich. He goes, but you will always be happy yeah. because there's something about this job that is so fulfilling that it doesn't matter that you're not rich. It's so true. One of the young EMTs that I spent time with 
said to me, he showed me his spacesuit that he would have to put on at the beginning of COVID when people were dying in droves and there was no vaccine and, you know, we were up against an enemy we couldn't see. It was war, really. And he said, you know, I get home and I'm I'm tired and I'm – he's re- reflecting back, just talking with me off camera. He said – and, you know, I, I felt like maybe we didn't save every life that day, and I sometimes would cry. And he said, but you know what? I'm never going to be aimless. That's true. I, he goes, yeah. I have a purpose. And when I get up in the morning, no matter how I feel, young guy, like early 20s, this is what I want to do. I'm so crystal clear on that. And as long as I can do it, it's my forever thing. Right. I have a purpose. I'm never going to be aimless. And that is the key because if you go back in time, people lived every day when there was no supermarkets. How do, I got to eat. I got to do this. I got to get the yes. farm going. You wouldn't think, what, what about my self-esteem? Or my college I mean, years. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Or your <laughs> it was just years. like that, actually. Right. <laughs> uh, so listen, uh, check out Harris today at 11. Thank uh, she's you. got her show, The Faulkner Focus. The outnumbered from 12 to 1. Uh, when seconds count on uh, Fox Nation. And besides that, then you could go take a breath. You you, you also can never say well, you don't have a purpose. You, you know what? I I feel that I'm very blessed. And I know you feel this way too. You and I spend a lot of hours doing a lot of stuff um, in the medium that we love. But right now I feel like we have a more important role than ever. Not not looking at us as individuals, but us as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. We got we to yeah. keep everybody focused on what's important. So I'm so grateful for the time today. And whenever you join the focus... You know right. our numbers go up. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be great. We'll do a simulcast. We'll share audiences. Oh, I love that That'd idea. I bring All snacks. Right. Hey, she does. That's interesting. But she <laughs> wouldn't have to bring it here. We'll be in separate locations. Safe <laughs> one. Uh, Keep up, Harris. Thanks so much, Harris. Frank. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the week. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, We know that President Biden has already taken off going to California because he has to save Governor Newsom because he's going to be recalled. Even though the polls look strong for him, it's embarrassment. This is their wonder kid that was supposed to be the future of the party. Now he's got to fight to hold on to his job in a Democratic state. As blue as it can be. What an embarrassment that must be for that country. Michael Goodwin in a matter of moments. And then Bjorn Lundborg uh, will be joining us. Now, we keep hearing about every time there's a storm, every time it rains hard. This is climate change. It's global warming. If we don't do something quick, we're all going to die, right? Well, uh, Bjorn Lundborg is the president of the Copenhagen Consensus and visiting fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University. He, he wrote the book, False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. So he knows something's going on, but he's not saying it's because of the combustion engine. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've been very clear, I think, and I think a strategic pause is necessary right now. What we do know is that basically the need for this, the emergency to do something in the next week is not there. Right. Uh, Joe Manchin talking sense in trouble. That's what the Democratic Party is when it comes to two bills and infrastructure. They're at war with themselves. Sanders, Manchin and AOC. This is the week they were supposed to go with cradle to grave social spending and destroy the country. And next week passed the bipartisan bills, which is controversy, controversial in its own right. Uh, they're at each other's throats and I could not be happier. 
Number two. He's got no authority to do what he's doing. He even admitted he couldn't do this, and his administration admitted that. And when Biden is violating the Constitution, we are going to be on the front line with a full-spectrum response. And that is the least that we can be doing. That is, uh, in Nebraska, that is a guy that I think is going to be running for president, and that is Governor Ron DeSantis. Of course, if that's if Trump doesn't run, uh, he is talking about what is going on. Uh, we are talking about making it worse. President Biden says he's losing patience with us, but in issuing his sweeping vaccine mandates, did he just make vaccination and the whole effort to vaccinate the country more political and adversarial? Republicans and even many doctors agree the answer is yes. Number one. Of the people that we took out of Afghanistan, how many of them were vetted before they got on the plane? What are you going to do with them? How are you going to vet them now that we got them? Are you going to recognize the Taliban? Are you going to give any aid to the Taliban? And how many people did we leave behind that helped us during the last 20 years? Some good questions that Lindsey Graham answered for us on the show on Fox and Friends. Anthony Blinken's in the hot seat. This this afternoon, the first of many congressional hearings over his catastrophic evacuation from Afghanistan. It's leaving the country to the Taliban, Al Qaeda and China while leaving Americans and our allies behind. That would uh, what would you ask him? And what do you think Republicans would be prepared to uh, give speeches or they make these crisp questions? Sadly, they only get three minutes each. Joining us now is New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor Michael Goodwin. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Michael, they're only getting three minutes, three minutes to question the Secretary of State over the most catastrophic decision ever. Are you optimistic they're going to get anything done today? Well, look, you know, it's my view of editing, Brian, that uh, you can cut anything by 10 percent. And so I think that uh, what the senators time now, they have to they have to stop the windbaggery and get right to the questions. Obviously, it's designed to protect Blinken, protect Biden. I mean, this is Chuck Schumer's Senate for rules like this. Uh, and so he's using the power to protect the president. But, you know, at some point, there's a line about at some point party asks too much. And I think this is one of those cases. This is the the multifaceted disaster that the Afghan withdrawal represents is is almost unfathomable. There are so many elements of it that are so wrong. Uh, As as Lindsey Graham said, the people we left behind, did we, because we did it in a rush, we didn't vet the people we took. Uh, They still won't put out the numbers as to how many of the people, the Afghans, had the SIV visas or had even applied for it. And then, of course, there's the question of American citizens left behind. The number kept changing. Recall at one point the State Department estimated up to 15,000. Then suddenly the number was 5,000 plus, and now it's down to a couple of hundred who didn't get out. Well, by my math, we're missing about eight or 9,000 people somewhere along the line. Uh, and, but we don't know how many got out other than just a round number. And then, of course, there is the long-range implications for terrorism, for American national security, for America's strength on the international stage. I mean, there are so many things that were wrong with the way this happened. As I say, that it it will take years, I think, to fully understand the, the many dimensions 
that were worsened or created new problems by the president's hasty decision. And then, of course, that with the backdrop of 9-11, you called it a gut punch in Afghanistan. Of course it is. Think about this. All those men and women who fought, they were so proud of what they did, and they should be. And their commanders and their commander-in-chief have thoroughly let them down. Do I see General McKenzie talk when offered the uh, Kabul? He said, just give me the airport. The secretary of state asking the Taliban permission. The president not anticipating. I don't believe it for a second. The Tal- no one told him the Taliban would take over that quickly. The January, the July 8th press conference that he had where he told us Al-Qaeda, it's not inevitable they take over the country. Al-Qaeda doesn't have a presence there. All this stuff we have totally let down our war fighters. Well, Brian, and I would add one more thing to your list, and that is the phone call with uh, with the, the president of, of Afghanistan at the time, Ghani. Yep. Basically, Biden told him to lie. He told him to lie to make it seem as though the Taliban was not advancing. Now, doesn't that undercut the Biden argument that nobody told me how quickly the Taliban were advancing? They did tell you, but you didn't want to know. And you told the president of of Afghanistan not to let the cat out of the bag. I mean, that to me is an impeachable phone call. If Ukraine was impeachable for Donald Trump, this is much more serious because we lost a country. So Joe Biden, why why did he tell the president of Afghanistan to lie? Obviously for his own benefit, obviously because he wanted to do the withdrawal and he didn't want any bad news to get in the way. And then later he claims nobody told me. But we know now that he not only knew, but that he'd lied about knowing. So there's something really rotten in this whole affair. It gets worse. We thought uh, they allowed, they said there was going to be an attack and it happened. They kept telling everyone, get away from the airport. Don't go, even though there's only hours left before we abandon it, because there's going to be an attack. And then when there was no attack, people came back. And then we didn't anticipate the attack that happened. And then all of a sudden we hear about a drone strike that we killed an I-6K mastermind. Two of them. Great. Well, it turns out the Washington Post, New York Times does a story, and the investigation reveals the U.S. military so far acknowledged killing three civilian casualties, but it looks like 10 members of a family, seven kids were killed uh, in the airstrike, and it looks like the guy uh, whose name is Zamiri Ahmadi is a longtime worker for the U.S. aid group and was loading not explosives but water into his trunk to bring it to people working in Kabul. We killed one of our guys and his entire family. Right. And this is the military now that uh, is beginning to resemble the five o'clock follies in Vietnam. Only the good news. And if it's bad news, we'll give you we'll, we'll make it better for you. We'll give you good news all the time. And so this whole idea of ah, we avenge those who who masterminded the uh, suicide bomb. Uh, not true, as it turns out. So I think there's a real question of credibility now building around the entire Biden presidency. And I think Republicans uh, like Lindsey Graham need to need to not only bear in on these uh, issues, but they need to broaden them also. 
They need to make the case that there's something seriously wrong with this administration. It's not just one thing, it's two things. I mean, you, you talked about the vaccine mandates, uh, whether it's divisive. You got the, the $3.5 trillion plan they're trying to push through Congress. I mean, it's on and on and on, things that are just simply dividing the country and not creating Look, all presidents almost by definition are polarizing. If you, if you propose something that half the country doesn't like, you're polarizing, even though that may be the right and best thing. But when you per perpetually go down that same road just for partisan purposes, right. it no longer feels like leadership. It, it feels almost like indifference to the country as a whole. Right. I mean, they, they think we're going to focus on vaccine mandates. He's calling out DeSantis and company and hoping they'll fight with him to distract him from the border, from inflation, uh, from what's happening in Afghanistan. I mean, you keep going on the list. This is just failure after failure. So I wanted to bring this out. This guy is uh, a reporter with CBS on Face the Nation today, just so you know, on yesterday, at least they did a report on Afghanistan. I'm watching Meet the Press. They don't even bring up Afghanistan. Here's Charles Degada on Face the Nation about what is actually happening now. Cut five. Right after William Burns came on Wednesday, a couple days later, just uh, on Saturday, uh, the intelligence chiefs of Russia, China, Iran, and other local countries here met with the intelligence leaders here as well. So there is a sense that the United States is being sidelined. Uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan said you have to think twice if the United States thinks they're going to be able to apply a base here, reestablish a base here. So the U.S. may need, they do need, to have some sort of footprint here. But for the time being, they're being pushed out by other players. This is what's left. With the, remember we said uh, you're with us or against us? Now we're begging the Taliban to let our people out. And Pakistan says, sorry, I'd rather deal with China and Russia. And that's what Joe Biden has done with his 50 years of foreign policy knowledge. Former chairman of the uh, foreign policy, uh, the, the uh, uh, foreign policy committee then in, in the Senate. Former vice president handling most of the foreign policy. This is what we have. Well, and, and you know, Brian, you make, you make a good point here, too, with, the, with this uh, issue, because uh, having, uh, having a base in Afghanistan was an important, important listening post for both Pakistan and China. Uh, and now we're gone. So uh, our footprint is smaller. And if you're one of the people who, who believe that America was overextended, then you should be satisfied. But be careful what you wish for. Because, yes, we are extended in many places. But the, but the places where we are extended uh, most recently are, are the current threats. I mean, I think you can make an argument, do we need so many troops in Germany for NATO, particularly when you're going to give up uh, the pipe, the pipeline, the, the Nord pipeline to to Russia and Germany. Uh, the whole point of NATO was to keep Russia out. Now we're letting them come in through the pipeline, and Biden approved that while killing the Keystone pipeline. So the inconsistencies uh, of, of his stated objectives, of his stated strategy, just boggle the mind. I mean, you really feel like you're dealing with someone who is just either not with it or totally incompetent. But when are we Both going? Both things could be true, by the way. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I want you to hear 
would uh, so the thing is, they keep saying this is what the intelligence told me. This is what Defense Department told me. This is what everyone, State Department is, and the White House is looking to blame everybody. This is the deal that Trump left for me. But what Michael McCall said is interesting is that he said that they actually defied intelligence that told him this. Uh, listen to what uh, what he. This is how he would. Uh, uh, here it is. This is what he would actually ask. Uh, uh, Tony Blinken today, cut six. Yeah, I want to hear from him. Uh, why did this go so bad? How did he get it so wrong? Why didn't he listen to the intelligence community warnings uh, since April and May of this last year, uh, telling us, telling me, uh, that the Taliban was going to take over, the Afghan army was going to fall, and the embassy would be uh, in trouble? Instead, they listened to, you know, uh, Zal Khalizad, the special envoy, this rosy dream that they were going to somehow negotiate a, a last-minute deal with the Taliban was absolutely uh, fantasy world. Uh, and not, you know, it was like a Yale faculty lounge rather than, you know, a war on the ground. So, I mean, he said the intelligence told him. So that's McCall's sources. Defense Department said, you put me in a possible situation, wouldn't give me more troops, and then asked me if I could defund, uh, defend Bagram Air Base. So I said no. Boom. Uh, Defense Department won't support, uh, says we should pull out. So it's almost he used the other branches of government to back up his own argument, and this is where he doesn't take the blame. That's right. Uh, when he gives, when he tells the uh, military that uh, here's the here's the number of troops you have going forward. Now, what are you going to do with them? Well, it's not enough. It's not enough to do what the military needs to be done. Now, look, Biden is the commander in chief, and he is he is entitled to make these decisions. But he can't then say that they all supported me. Of course they supported you, or they would have resigned. Uh, that is their job. They are good soldiers. They do what they're told by the civilian authority. That is the Constitution, and they are following it. But that doesn't mean they agreed with you. That doesn't mean they supported it. We know they gave him different options. The intelligence agencies gave him different options. He wanted out. He didn't want any other option. He had made up his mind long ago. He has said, Brian, that he opposed the surge in 2009. That's when he was vice president, when Barack Obama effectively tripled the number of American soldiers in Afghanistan uh, and then put a timeline on it. But Biden was vice president, and he said recently, I, I – uh, argued against that surge. We know he argued against the Osama bin Laden. I know. It's the worst. I mean, so what has he ever been for uh, in, in this war? Because it, gotcha. it, it was a success until he snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Michael Goodwin, New York Post, Fox News contributor. Thanks so much, Michael. My pleasure, Brian. All right, we come back. Your turn, one 866 Then we talk climate change with Bjorn Lomborg. You're going to be fascinated with what he has to say. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
A lot of people have weighed in. Barack Obama has weighed in. Bernie Sanders has weighed in. Uh, Senator Warren has weighed in. And they never say the following magical words. Gavin Newsom has done a good job for the people of California. They can't defend his record on crime. They can't defend his record on homelessness. They can't defend the work, his record on the way he ignored science and shut down this state while his own children were enjoying in-person private education, while he was sitting up there at the French Laundry ignoring the masks and the social, social distancing mandates that the very people who drafted the mandates were sitting there with him. He can't defend his record on the fact that people are leaving California for the first time in our state's 170 year history. They can't defend his record on fire management. They can't defend his record on the fact that we're having rolling brownouts. They can't defend his record on the fact that we are running out of water because we haven't added to our water infrastructure system in about 40 years. So that is Larry Elder. Right now, the latest poll, some Berkeley poll, shows that only 38% of people want him to be recalled. They need 51, 50% plus one vote. And then the next person with the most popular would be Larry Elder. He'd become governor for the next two years, and then they'd be, he'd be running against a Democrat, you would assume. Also, if he gets close, you got to think he's going to run again. Now Republicans really have a little bit of a groundswell. There's about 41 people out there to replace him. About 1.2 million people signed up to get him recalled. And Governor Newsom is now fighting for his life. At first, he was not political life. First, he was not taking this seriously. Now you got the vice president coming out. You have the president coming out. Barack Obama is campaigning for him. And no help. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I just want to say we, we are looking at the results of climate change. And then, of course, add to that the fact that this is all part of this. Scientists tell us climate change. You're going to hear a lot about climate change in the hours to come. And we should, because this is a climate change story. Yeah, that's true. That's your media reporter, by the way. Uh, Bjorn Lomborg is the president of the Copenhagen Consensus and visiting fellow at the Hoover Institute, Stanford University. His latest book is False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Trillions, Hurts the Poor, and Fails to Fix the Planet. Bjorn, thanks so much for being here. Are you surprised how this whole climate change thing is is just now conventional wisdom? We're supposed to, every time there's a storm, it's because of climate change. It's when are we going to spend the money to stop it? Yeah. Hey, Brian, it's great to be back. No, unfortunately not. This is such a, if you will, sexy story that obviously everyone will pick it up. Every time you now have a natural disaster, you can blame it on climate. And then, of course, you don't have to think about, was there some people who didn't do enough adaptation? Are there people who didn't do their duty? Like, for instance, in Germany, uh, when we had floods earlier this summer, it was likely to a very large extent caused by the fact that the warning system didn't work. That's, of course, local and and state officials' uh, uh, fault. And so they happily blame climate instead because then it's suddenly not their fault. We're fundamentally focusing on the wrong way to help future people that are harmed by hurricanes and other problems. You know, it's but the thing is, it's getting now you have three point five trillion that's looked to be jammed down our throats full of this Green New Deal. And it's really getting serious in terms of it's not looking at our national interest to get off oil and gas. It's not in our natural interest to have rare earth capabilities uh, needs in places like China and others. So when does national security become an issue here? When can you get somebody who is not going to be uh, look at this from a political fashion? Well, Brian, I think we need two things. Uh, You're absolutely right. We're going to spend an enormous amount of resources in this. And that's, of course, 
the first tragedy. Remember, $3.5 trillion spent badly is $3.5 trillion you can't spend on other things that actually would do a lot more good for Americans. The second part is you're not going to get away with spending $3.5 trillion and keep getting reelected. Uh, remember, this is spending you know, in the order of $1,500 to $2,000 per American per year. Uh, most Americans tell us that while they care about climate, they're willing to spend maybe $24, uh, maybe even $100, but nowhere near the thousands of dollars. This is going to cause people to say no. And then thirdly, and this is perhaps the most important thing, we need to get people to recognize that on many of the parameters where you're told this is the end of the world, it is no such thing. So look at, for instance, hurricanes. We have the best studied data for the U.S. for landfalling hurricanes since 1900. And if you number them and actually tabulate them, turns out hurricanes are not becoming more frequent. They're not hitting the U.S. more. They're actually hitting the U.S slightly less. Now, are they coming with more uh, velocity? Yes. So that's the other thing. People then say, sure, but they're getting worse. Well, actually, if you look at the major hurricanes, so category three and plus, they are not becoming more frequent. Actually, again, since 1900, they have become slightly less frequent. What that tells you is that, yes, there is an argument, and, and yeah, it's a reasonable argument from climate uh, uh, modeling that by the end of the century, we will probably have slightly fewer but slightly stronger hurricanes. And that overall is a problem, yes. But, and we need to get back to this, the way to fix this problem is not predominantly by cutting carbon emissions. It's probably one of the least effective ways to help people both today and in the future. But it's about making people more resilient. Why is it that the most deadly hurricane disaster was in Galveston in 1900, because you were poor. If you were poor, if you live in, uh, in areas where you don't have technology, you don't have resilience, of course you're going to see lots of people dying. You're going to see huge costs in, in proportion to your income. Whereas today, when you're rich, you're resilient, you're much better able to tackle these problems. There will still be deaths. There will still be costs, but the costs have actually declined the deaths have actually declined, not increased. So I want you to hear what Joe Manchin said about getting off fossil fuels. They're on West Virginia, big coal state. He does not want to just destroy the economy. Listen to what he said and tell me if you think this is the right track or is it just appeasement. Cut 43. Let's look at where we've come in the last 20 years. In 20, in 2000, year 2000, 52% of our electricity came from coal. Only about 16% came from natural gas and only about nine and a half. Uh, percent came from renewables 20 years to date okay 2020 19 percent from coal 40 percent from natural gas and up to 20 percent for renewables the transition is happening now they're wanting to pay companies to do what they're already doing makes no sense to me at all for us to take billions of dollars and pay utilities for what they're going to do as the market transitions we've proven that and we will continue to transition they're accelerating something that can be very very vulnerable I just want you to take that argument. Do you like the move away from coal? Do you like the move away from fossil fuels? And is, is this the oh. pattern that's healthy for the planet? So it's definitely a pattern that's better for climate change. So, yes, it's also very smart for the U.S. to move away from coal to gas. 
both because of air pollution, but mostly because of climate change. So gas emits about half the amount of CO2 as uh, coal does uh, for a given unit of energy. But the problem here is you can't keep doing that. The reason why you did this was because gas was cheaper than coal. And what we need is technology that's cheaper than coal and gas. We are not there yet. Yes, solar is cheaper than fossil fuels when the sun is shining. But unfortunately, most people actually seem to like to have their electricity not dependent on whether uh, it's a cloud-free day or whether it's night. Right. And so, again, we need to recognize that this is an economic issue much more than it's an environmental issue. It's a question of saying, do you want to force people to pay trillions of dollars to cut carbon emissions a little bit? Or do you want to focus on innovation? Remember, the way that we have solved problems in the past is not by making people poor. It's not by telling people, you can't, I'm sorry, you've got to stop the stuff you like to do. It has been through innovation. We fix the world's uh, lack of food, not by telling everyone, could you please eat a little less, but by making a green revolution that made it possible to grow much, much more food on every acre. We need to do the same thing for energy. Only once we've made green energy, and look, that could be a lot of different things. It could be solar coupled with batteries, but it could also be fusion or fission and many other opportunities. We need to make at least one of those cheaper than fossil fuels. And then, of course, we will get all the world to go green, not just rich, well-meaning Americans, but also China, India, and Africa. In your editorial, you say the world is getting safer from floods. Another thing that's been brought up by other people is that one of the reasons we're getting so many houses destroyed because we're building on the shore like we've never built before, and a lot of rich people are doing it too. But in what way are we safer from floods? So when you look at flooding and the flood cost, across the U.S. So we have good data back to 1903. The cost in percent of GDP, and you need to do this in percent of GDP, because remember, if you have twice the number of houses or if they're twice as expensive, obviously a similar sized flood will destroy twice as much stuff. So you need to do it in correspondence with your, uh, actually with your wealth stock and GDP is a good proxy for that. That's also what the U.N. tells us we should be doing. So if you look at the cost of U.S. flooding in percent of GDP. It has not increased as what you'd imagine when you see a lot of the news. It's actually dramatically declined. The costliest flood in the U.S. history was in uh, 1913. You know, the big flood of the Mississippi that uh, flooded for more than 100 days, it cost more than 2% of GDP. Today, the average cost is 0.05. We've seen a decline tenfold of the of the cost for us from 0.5 to 0.05 percent of gdp this is not an increasing problem it's a decreasing problem now this does not say anything about climate it mostly says uh, that with much richer people you're much better able to tackle problems but what it does tell you is it's not warranted to have this panic oh the end is nigh we're all going to get flooded no we're not because we're rich and what matters of course is to make sure that the many, many people in the world who are still not rich actually attain the same level of wealth as America and other rich nations around the world have. That's the way to, uh, to help them, not by you know, not driving your SUV tomorrow. 
Understand, lastly, the President of the United States is going to be delivering remarks at the wildfires, at the wildfires at Caldor Fires in California. And he keeps pointing out, look at Siberia's burning and look at all these uh, fires are burning. Does that indicate to Bjorn Lomborg that there is climate change and fires are paying the price for it because of drought? So, look, Brian, global warming is a real problem. Uh, and, and that's absolutely true. There's also some indication that climate change will make fires more predominant in some places. But again, we're much, much better able to tackle these fires. So what's actually happened globally is fires have gone down dramatically over the last 120 years. They keep going down. We've had good satellite coverage for the last, what, 25 years now. And we know that fire in the world has gone down dramatically. There are still problem areas. So fire has also gone down overall over the last 100 years for the U.S. But because we have changed the way we tackle forests and we've left a lot of forests unburned, unmanaged, and therefore lots of uh, biomass to burn up, we are actually seeing bigger fires some places like in the U.S. West. Most of the solution on this will come from smarter forest management. A little bit of it is climate uh, change. But the problem is, if you make it into, we're going to fix forest fires by getting you to drive an electric vehicle in 15 years, you are doing the costliest and least effective policy to help future victims of fires. He makes sense, and that's why uh, we always have him on. Bjorn Lomborg, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. one 408 7669 We'll finish up with you calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I want to get a couple of calls, and then we'll do a more to know. So let's with Terry's been very patient. Listen, WSKY over in Florida. Hey, Terry. How you doing, sir? Great show, by the way. Thank you. Um, something that's bothering me is that it's affecting me personally is that this mandate is affecting the hospitals. They People are saying that there's no beds because there's so many positives. No, it's because doctors and nurses and staff are quitting due to the mandate. And my 42-week pregnant daughter has to wait for a better be scheduled bed. And they said if her water breaks, she goes into, into labor, she can go to the emergency room, but she has to wait. Unbelievable. Uh, you think a lot of people are quitting because they don't want to get the shot. That's right. Thanks so much. It's a very good perspective. Joe, WABC, New Jersey. Joe. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good. What's your mind? The gentleman you had was absolutely correct. You know, we have to depend on people like him, not AOC and Bernie Sanders, to tell us about climate change. I Listen, I hear you. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I want you to hear this statement. Uh, listen to this. Cut 45. Elderly people in America can't afford to put dentures into their mouth. They have no teeth in their mouth in some cases. Can't afford hearing aids. Can't afford eyeglasses. Working families cannot afford childcare for their kids. Young people cannot afford to go to college. And then on top of all of that, the scientific community is telling us that we're looking at a cataclysmic crisis in terms of climate. Oregon is burning. California is burning. People are drowning in New York City. Detroit, flooding. Siberia, largest fire on Earth. Drought all over the world. Joe, you believe this? 
Do you believe this? He he's painting a picture of a of makes Noah's Ark looks like a, a nice sunny day. So you know what? According to him, let's just pull the plug and everybody die. Yeah, we're all getting flooded or burned. We with no teeth and we can't see or hear. Thanks, Joe. Find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. All right, here we go. Fox does a great thing. Gives $1 million to Tunnel to Towers Foundation to support first responders, military heroes. Uh, We love Tunnel to Towers. No, we certainly do. And it seemed like Frank Siller was truly taken by surprise when uh, they announced it. On the end, it looks like Jesse Waters was able to announce it when they were at the game together. Next, the NFL commemorates 9-11 with video, a video tribute of their anthem. Here's a little of it with Steve Buscemi as voiceover. Today our country faces problems new and old and seems as divided as we've ever been. As a nation, at our lowest points, we as a people find a way to rise the highest. As we remember and honor the memory of 9-11, Let's also never forget the lessons and spirit of 912. There is no problem we can't solve, no obstacle we can't overcome. All right, so it was good. I'm glad they did that. I would have liked to see more NYPD. And as much as I love the FDNY and they lost 343 guys, people, I get it. But don't run away from the cops. Do you think they were doing that on purpose? Yeah, of course. The NYPD lost people. They were the first responders. No, I know they were, but the fact that the NFL... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would love to see more NYPD hats. Next, this kills me. Chewing gum can prevent gut complications after heart surgery. That, according to the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, result of a study showed that only two gum-chewing patients developed a case of post-operatic, whatever that's called, illness. Meanwhile, researchers found 17 patients... From the no-gum group uh, developed the condition after heart surgery. Please do not give people a reason to chew gum. We have to stop the gum chewing. So you would rather develop the condition than chew gum? Listen, <laughs> you got to make choices in life. Or just eat more. You know, just, you just I don't want you chewing gum. Aimless chewing doesn't help anybody. Next, tickets to Disney World could be more than double by two, 2031. A koala company looking to connect travelers with timeshare rentals and resorts completed a data study that tracked ticket prices, and it could be more than double by 2031. So this is bad because it was, this is supposed to be the middle-class family, working-class family vacation. It's crazy how much it is now, but I don't doubt it. it goes up so much every year, and that's just for the most basic of passes, right? Then anything is extra. Exactly. Next, Conor McGregor and Machine Gun Kelly almost got into a fight at the VMAs. I mean, this wouldn't have been a fight. Conor McGregor took a swing at him, evidently. Page six says they got into it uh, on the red carpet. Photos show the UFC champ um, and Bloody Valentine singer being pulled apart by what looks like security after the scuffle broke out. And, and by the way, Machine Gun Kelly is dating Megan Fox, right? Yes, they've been together for a is little bit. Is that what causes this? Is, that is not. A, you're hoping for somewhat big love triangle? No, apparently Conor McGregor asked for a picture with Machine Gun Kelly, and Machine Gun Kelly's people said no. And that's, and that's why he wanted to fight him? I, I, apparently, maybe. That's what uh, I think I read on People, you know, I trying to find the reason hurt. for the scuffle. You can't, beat up, you can't beat up musicians when you're hurt. Isn't he still recovering from surgery? I'm not sure, but it, I mean, you're right. It wouldn't even, I mean, he wouldn't matter, I feel like, if he didn't have a leg. like He could know. beat him up, right? Yeah. I mean, he's such a fighter versus such. And do you, you know. think that would cause Megan Fox to look at Machine Gun Kelly differently? 
if he was to get beat up in front of her. Would you hope then she'd just like leave him and go for Conor McGregor and, right uh, on the red carpet? Then we'd have we'd have a, a lot more to know. <laughs> we would. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kill Me Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Bottom of the hour, Brett Baer will join us uh, next. Congressman James Comer, he's ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, member of the Education and Labor Department. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. And man, we got a big hour coming your way. In a few hours, it looks as though the Secretary of State will finally begin to answer some questions about his horrific decision to pull us out of Afghanistan the way he did and the uh, lack of power and influence and counterterror possibilities we now have in that region 20 years since 9-11 really uh, put a pale over all the, uh, all the marking of the 20 years since the 9-11 attacks. So uh, we'll look at that. Meanwhile, the president of the United States not working on Afghanistan, not working on inflation, not working on the border, helping Gavin Newsom by standing in front of a fire and saying global uh, climate change needs to happen, is happening, and we need to spend a lot of money to fix it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've been very clear, I think, and I think a strategic pause is necessary right now. What we do know is that basically the need for this, the emergency to do something in the next week is not there. Yeah, uh, that's right, uh, Joe Manchin. In trouble. That's what the Democratic Party is when it comes to their reconciliation packages. Sanders, Manchin, and AOC don't agree. Number two. He's got no authority to do what he's doing. He even admitted he couldn't do this, and his administration admitted that. And when Biden is violating the Constitution, we are going to be on the front line with a full-spectrum response. And that is the least that we can be doing. Governor Ron DeSantis making it worse. President Biden demanding uh, that everyone get a, a, a businesses mandate vaccines. And losing patience with us has done nothing to help people get convinced to take the vaccine. We'll explain. Number one. Of the people that we took out of Afghanistan, how many of them were vetted before they got on the plane? What are you going to do with them? How are you going to vet them now that we got them? Are you going to recognize the Taliban? Are you going to give any aid to the Taliban? And how many people did we leave behind that helped us during the last 20 years? Blinken's in the hot seat, the first of many congressional hearings over this catastrophic evacuation from Afghanistan. What would you ask him? What do you expect to get done? All Congressman James Comer joins us now, ranking member of the House Oversight Committee. Um, he um, has got a lot of things to go to, on his mind, as is the country, as they gradually come back to work from the summer recess. Congressman, welcome. It's great to be on your show, Brian. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, Congressman, first off, I'm really disheartened to see that Anthony Blake is only going to sit for three minutes per uh, House member. Yeah, it's crazy. Just when you think that uh, Pelosi can't run the House in any worse manner, uh, she never ceases to to surprise. I mean, it's it's so bad how the House is run and the Democrats' lack of disrespect for our veterans, for our first responders, and for the American taxpayers. So right now, if uh, Anthony Blink is in front of you, what question do you ask him? Well, I want to know what was the plan, and, and did you have an accounting of how many people— uh, we were supposed to evacuate. How many American citizens were over there? What were your estimates? Because we were told in Congress a few weeks before the withdrawal that they thought there would be somewhere around 2,000 Americans 
and somewhere around uh, 10,000 Afghanis. Now that number somehow gotten to 100,000 by some account. So somebody's off. Uh, I don't know who made the mistake, but we need to know the entire process of decision-making. And at the end of the day, somebody needs to be held accountable. And I think that's what the Republicans in Congress want to do. They want to know, that, first of all, we want to find the answers. And secondly, we want to hold someone accountable. I want you to hear what Con- Congressman uh, Michael McCall said uh, with Maria uh, yesterday. Cut eight. And what infuriates me even more, the American citizens left behind, the interpreters who fought with our special forces left behind. They're being executed as I speak right now. And then finally, no plan for an intelligence ISR capability in the region. We are dark in Afghanistan, and we're also dark when it comes to Russia, China, and Iran. And that just, you cannot tell us that makes Americans safer, uh, Congressman. What do you say to people who say, well, Republicans were running on get, get again out of these uh, forever wars. And this was Trump's plan to begin with. Well, we want to get out of forever wars. Most Republicans do. But the but the withdrawal was a disaster. I mean, it was a complete incompetence. It weakened our standing in the world. McCall is absolutely right. We're completely dark in an area where uh, we need to have a, a pre, an intelligent presence, and we don't. And what Joe Biden has unintentionally done is he's helped recruiting for the Taliban and for al-Qaeda and for terrorist organizations. And the questions that you mentioned that uh, that you showed that Lindsey Graham had are questions every American has. And, you know, I don't think anyone wants to send taxpayer dollars to Afghanistan to support this new government. I mean, how much military equipment have they already stolen from the United States? The complete incompetence of Joe Biden is breathtaking. And it's hard to believe that he's done this much damage to the United States in only eight months. It's unbelievable. Uh, something else is going on. He's also on the phone with China for an hour and a half. And it doesn't seem as though by the readout, he even brought up the pandemic, the origin of the virus, the investigation they will not cooperate with, the takeover of Bagram. Evidently, China's talking to Afghanistan about taking over Bagram Air Base, which we revolutionized to be this modern wonder and just abandon. We thought the Afghan forces would hold it to, I guess, to some degree. They didn't, and China taking it over. Is that acceptable to you? It is not acceptable. So many things China has done over the eight months of the Biden presidency are unacceptable. The origination of the COVID uh, virus from the Wuhan lab, uh, the fact that Joe Biden, his intelligence community, wasted 90 days and came up with nothing. They didn't even try. Uh, For some reason, Joe Biden, it seems, is compromised by China. That's one reason the Republicans on the House Oversight Committee were trying to get to the bottom of Hunter Biden's artwork and who's buying this artwork. Are they Chinese uh, interests that are buying this artwork to to continue to compromise Hunter Biden and and the Biden family? I I don't know, but it's just bizarre that, that Joe Biden won't try to investigate the origination of COVID because we're not accusing the Democrats of doing anything with COVID. We're accusing China, but Joe Biden continues to defend China. And now we're going to turn over, you know, a key military base paid for with American taxpayer dollars to China and, and not uh, try to hold them accountable or, or have any repercussions to China for this. It's just complete incompetence at the top. And the top is Joe Biden. But without being in the majority, can you do an investigation on Hunter Biden, this novice, a painter who's using a straw, unbelievably, 
uh, to paint we, stuff that we might yeah. not even have painted. Some people say he didn't even paint it. He puts it up for sale, and we and we we're never going to know the buyers. Yeah, he he could have bought it at the uh, bargain shelf at TJ Maxx and turned around, you know, for nine ninety nine and turned around and sold it for half a million dollars. For all we know, you know, there's no video of him painting. There's no proof. Of it. But honestly, it looks like something that uh, my ten year old could paint. You know, the the fact that they won't disclose who the the buyers are of this ridiculously high priced artwork. It is very troubling. I mean, can you imagine if if uh, Eric Trump or Donald Trump Jr. tried to sell some artwork? They decided to start painting, and they started selling artwork for half a million dollars. Can you imagine the outrage among the Democrats in Congress? But not a peep. We're going to continue to look, and Hunter Biden's going to mess up. He always does. He's going to leave a laptop somewhere. He's going to uh, tell some girl something that he that he will later regret i mean that this guy has a track record of making mistakes and we're watching every move he's making and you know we don't know what the status is of the the federal investigation in delaware but i know that uh you know on the oversight committee we're not going to let up we're looking into several things with hunter biden but we're really zeroed in on this artwork because it's just fishy and every american knows it's fishy even even democrats know it doesn't pass the smell test well, yeah, uh, but who who on the Democratic side is worried about it? Not a single. Per- well, <laughs> probably they're all worried about it internally, but no, no one say anything. They're you know on the oversight committee, for, so to speak. They're only concerned about Donald Trump. They don't want to provide any oversight on the Biden administration. And what's even more troubling is they don't want to provide any oversight with respect to China and Chinese wrongdoing. And that's where it, it's just really hard for me to understand why we can't have any type of bipartisan investigation into wrongdoings by China. Uh, You know, the COVID, uh, the Wuhan lab, American tax dollars going uh, to the Wuhan lab, Dr. Fauci, you know, trade manipulation of currency, nothing. They don't want to do anything with respect to China. And it's just starting to uh, really make it look like there's some type of compromise within the Democrat Party with, with respect to China. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I hope you're able to get some, you know, uh, get some answers. Uh, I guess if you can wait a year and he's still in office and you guys can get the House, then we're going to get some real answers for sure. Uh, but not right now, we kind of need some responsible Democrats. Congressman James Comer, thanks so much of Kentucky. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Brian. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to come back and take your calls. We're also going to talk about this reconciliation package. Joe Manchin standing up, taking uh, taking the fight to his own party because West Virginia is a red state. They put him there not to be a patsy. Kirsten Cinema, uh, the same thing with, with Arizona. We'll see if anybody else will stand behind or if Manchin's got to take all the slings and arrows. He says put a pause on the $3.5 trillion. Thank goodness. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It puts a big burden on businesses to have to operationalize that and and didn't determine what they're going to do with the results. So I think a lot of businesses are going to opt to try to force workers to get vaccinated if, in fact, this ever goes into effect. So I don't think we had to reach down 
to the level of small businesses with 100 or more employees and put a federal requirement on them. I don't think the federal government should be dictating this. I also don't think governors should be preventing small businesses from making these determinations on their own. We should leave these decisions to communities, local communities and businesses to make assessments on what their risk is, what their settings are, how much precautions they can put in. That's Dr. Scott Gottlieb, uh, former FDA chief uh, under Trump. And I believe he did some work for President Obama. And he's saying the downside of the mandate. He obviously wants everyone to get the vaccine. He believes in the vaccine. He says he's on the Pfizer board and they're coming out with a booster. So obviously, you know where he stands. But he's saying the mandates are not a good move because it just hardens people's positions. 52% of you support the uh, 48%, I should say, favor the vaccine. 52% Oppose the vaccine. You're talking about a country that 75% of eligible vaccine takers have uh, taken the shot. One shot. And usually people get the second shot. So eventually we're going to get there. You don't need to be berated. But instead they're requiring federal workers to get the vaccine. They're requiring the military to get the vaccine. Uh, they now are going to announce in a maybe a month five and up are going to be eligible to get the vaccine. Do you want Joe Biden tell me what to do with my kid? Five-year-old, okay, let's see what the president wants. No, you're going to go see your pediatrician. Things are getting totally out of control. And the president says, well, he's losing patience with that. And it's not fair to the country. It's not about your freedom. That's where you're absolutely wrong. It is about the freedom. In fact, um, you have Dr. Scott Gottlieb even, excuse me, you have Asa Hutchinson who weighed in before about what he's done. He is going to town halls telling people with questions, answering their questions about mRNA and the Pfizer and the Moderna and what the difference is and what the holdout might be and talking to businesses about how their employees are saying when it comes to pushback, why PhDs in so many cases are saying, I don't want it. Really? Why do so many doctors say, I don't want it? Can we ask? Or do you want to ridicule? Why do four in 10 African-Americans, those are the four in 10, take the vaccine? Six in 10 don't. Why? Historically, it's been a bad scene in American history when it comes to the African community and some cases and vaccine. That's why. So not only does he not address it, he doesn't even go ahead and be proactive on it. But instead, you want to just make believe it's Trump supporters. I want you to hear what Ron DeSantis, he just teed off on the president, which, by the way, I'm a little torn on because that's what the president wants. He wants somebody to go against him. Cut 26. We've had people that have been working hard for months and years throughout the whole time. And now he wants to cast them aside. People that have worked in hospitals, people that have worked uh, delivering food, making our economy work. He's got no authority to do what he's doing. He even admitted he couldn't do this, and his administration admitted that. So we're going to stand up for people's jobs. We're going to stand up for people's freedoms and their livelihoods. And when Biden is violating the Constitution, we are going to be on the front line with a full-spectrum response. And that is the least that we can be doing. Look, the numbers are going down, but they're still high in Florida. But they're also the vaccine rate is also high in Florida. Here's Governor Ricketts in Nebraska. He's listening to this. He's more than happy to take questions on it. And he thinks the president should hop on one of the conference calls that President Trump always hopped on that the vice president led with the governors to find out what they need and how to back them up. Cut 28. And again, we can look at the data specifically around children and see the risk. Last year in Nebraska, if you were age 10 to 19, you were 26 times more likely to die in a car accident than you were of COVID-19. 
So the president should look at the data and maybe the president should attend one of the weekly calls his administration has with all the governors. He's not been on one yet since he's been president and maybe talk to some of the governors and ask them about what's going on in their states because he appears to be pretty ignorant of what's going on in places like Nebraska. I hear you. Uh, so let's go out to the phones right now. Kelly, listen, on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Brian. Can you hear me? Yep, you're on. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, so two things. Uh, if, I don't think it's going to happen, but if uh, Biden was to do a 180 somehow with the the Bagram Airport there, that may save his reputation and maybe some of his presidency. Uh, is there any way the Republicans can really just keep that front and center? Because if we lose that to China, the next 10 years after that, that's going to be a, a game changer in the world. So, it's gone. so that's my big worry. Listen, the media, I, uh, have the, I have the same concern as you, but it's gone. He's not going back now. When we were still there at Kabul Airport, it was possible. It's not going back unless there's another attack here. We're not going back. So. Okay, so so that's off the table. Uh, that That's one thing. The, the second thing is, um, if you go back to Joe Biden and H1N1 rollout back in the, the Obama-Biden years, I think that the blueprint for Fauci and the NIH to start, you know, looking to say, what, what are we going to do to pre- prevent something from like this going bad happening was the genesis of that. So if you go back to H1N1 and say, well, where did Fauci get this idea to do the um, chain, you know, uh, chain of function chain of research? Change, that's a question needs to be asked, because I think you can take that right to Joe Biden's feet, because he was in charge of the H1N1 rollout. And I don't think it went as smooth. And it was people getting Gillian Beret. There was other things going on. Uh, we had a family member that had that, was paralyzed for some time. And so, you know, most people ran out there and got their vaccines for that. But I think at some point, they, that one wasn't as severe. So they wanted to be ready in case something happened. So gotcha. I, I don't, Steve Hilton has done some great work on Fox Network. But I'm wondering, you know, where, how far? Well, I mean, H, yeah, the, he, he was terrible on H1N1, too. That's a good point. But it was not nearly as challenging, too. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to speak to Brett Baer. By the way, just when I saw WDBO, Orlando, Florida, I'll be there November 21st for the President Freedom Fighter Tour. Go to BrianKillMe.com. I'll also be in Charleston, West Virginia, November 7th, Ponte Vedra, December 3rd, and Clearwater, Florida, December 4th, on stage, winning the war on history, along with my new book. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think that the Taliban winning the war in Afghanistan and then the way our exit happened has absolutely inspired jihadists all over the world. Um, The Taliban is saying, we just didn't defeat the United States. We defeated NATO. We defeated the world's greatest military power ever. So there's a celebration going on. We defeated the Soviet Union, then it fell. Now we've defeated NATO, right? Maybe they can fall too. I think not only will jihadists be inspired, but a lot of them are going to come to Afghanistan to be part of the celebration, to be be part of Jihadist Central. So after 9-11, they all scattered from Afghanistan. I think we're going to see a flow back in, and that's one of the things that makes Afghanistan more dangerous than other spots on the planet.
Mike Morrell not pulling any punches, just saying the facts. You want to marginalize his statement? Just know that he was a briefer for President Obama and President Bush, a deputy director that got hired, maybe making $20,000 in the CIA, put off graduate school for a while. And next thing you know, he rose up the ranks so quick. He was by President Bush's side when uh, when the 9-11 attacks happened. And he sees his whole thing playing out again, if not worse. Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, uh, anchor of Special Report, as you know. Uh, Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. So when, when Mike Morrell's saying that, I mean, he, he oozes credibility, doesn't he? He does, yeah, of course. I mean, he's, he's a guy that... Um Listen, he was a guy that was briefing presidents, uh, and he's a guy that was caught in the middle of Benghazi, um, you know, and, and, you know, trying to explain that. Um, he's worked with Democratic presidents and Republican presidents. Um, he knows – one thing he knows is radical Islamists and, um, and terrorism. And, you know, I think he's right. I mean, if you look at the track record, the Taliban does have a pretty good track record. I mean, not of actual military battle wins, but of outlasting and not caring about the calendar when it comes to being the ultimate victor. They just waited the U.S. out. And that was really always their plan. It was. And little did they know we would do it this uh, clumsily to be kind. And the days before 9-11. So in, in you know Joe Biden's opinion, 9-11 would be a perfect time to take a bow. I got you out of Afghanistan. Let's book it, look back at the tragedy of 20 years ago. Instead, he was greeted by a lot of signs that said expletive Biden. He did not speak, in my humble opinion. He recorded a message, did not speak while President Bush did and other uh, vice president did, because I think that a lot there was a fear amongst his handlers that he was not going to be well received. Well, I think that that's a, a legitimate fear, um, you know, just looking at the crowds in, in New York. Listen, New York um, takes that very seriously, and as well they should. Um, it was a, a major mark in history, a tragic, tragic day, and the day was really about uh, remembering those who were lost, not about the politics of the moment. And And then just salt in the wounds is – the inauguration of the Taliban on the same day in Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, So just to have an idea of what we're up against, um, this is according to CBS. CBS, uh, CIA director, our CIA director Burns, uh, met in Pakistan with the leader, uh, the prime minister there, uh, and their intel chiefs to talk about maybe having a base there. Well, the prime minister said that if you think twice, you have to think twice before the United States uh, thinks they're going to be able to come over here and aptly base here and reestablish a base here. Uh, we're not going to do that. Meanwhile, you know who beat us there? China, Russia, and Iran. They've already met with the intel chiefs in Pakistan. We know that this whole invasion by the Taliban was was really choreographed, fueled, and supplied, and maybe even financed by Pakistan itself. We know the Taliban was created by Pakistan. So we don't have a base in Afghanistan. We have less of a presence in Pakistan. The Russians told us to stay out of all the stands, but we are supposed to pretend as if we're going to be effective in stopping counterterror from metastasizing in Afghanistan. Right, we're too sh- America is too smart for that. We went to Terry University for the past 20 years. No, exactly. 
and and you need most that you need is intel and in order to get intel you have to have assets and in order to get assets you have to have trust in order to have trust you have to have a relationship on the ground usually um and you know listen drone strikes are great and they do a very effective job of taking out things but sometimes they take out the wrong things and that only exacerbates what is a really, really um, explosive relationship on the ground. So no, I think it's going to be tough. No one's talking about it, but the Washington Post, New York Times does a story, and they say video evidence along with interviews shows that we basically killed somebody that was was a friend of ours that was applying to be an SIV. His name is Zamari Amati. And when after we had the bombing that killed 13 Americans and wounded 20, we went after two separate targets uh, through military zone, uh, through military uh, drone strikes. And it turns out that we killed 10 people, uh, seven kids, and including this guy who wasn't loading, according to the Washington Post and New York Times, was not loading a bomb, was loading water in his trunk. Yeah, and listen, you know, intel sources telling Jennifer Griffin that, you know, the intelligence, they had backing on the intelligence and blah, 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 but... You look at the story, and it seems pretty cut and dry. If there's more to it, they need to come out and explain what the more is. And um, I assume at some point those questions are going to be asked in a briefing or in an interview, uh, but so far they haven't. And all I know is that if this had happened under the Trump administration, oh. it would have been it would have been wall to wall on every channel and every every time, every hour. So the other big story today is the recall this week of Gavin Newsom. You look at the latest polls, and only 38% want him recalled. So if you look at what you know, the Berkeley poll says, and we've all been scared off polls these days, 38.5% uh, say he should be recalled. 60 says retain him undecided, just 1%. But why is the president, if these polls are correct and they're that confident, why did the vice president go out last week, and why is the president out there today? Because recalls are really tough to poll. Uh, you don't know who's going to come out. The ones that come out, I mean, it's not an election really other than this. And so the people who show up are the most motivated. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad feelings about Gavin Newsom, about how he handled COVID. Arguably, and I heard Dana Perino say this, you know, the, the timing of the mandate speech by Biden is pretty interesting days before the recall. Um, so some of the fire and heat comes to Biden um, from the people who are concerned about that, and they forget about Gavin Newsom in the early days of California. Um, I think just judging by the polls, you could say that he looks safe, but I think that recalls are very different. And you know, you get a small percentage of people who show up and they're the most motivated. Um, and it's a little confusing. You have to vote yes or no. Uh, you know, some Democrats are saying, yes, I'm going to vote for yes for Gavin Newsom. <laughs> well, yes means kick him out. Exactly. You could get confused. So, you know, Scott Walker fended off his recall. Uh, Gray Davis didn't. Schwarzenegger wins. Here's what Larry Elder, who if they vote no to if they say Gavin Newsom's got to go, Larry Elder would be the next governor. If the again, if the polls are correct, here's his message on Fox and Friends today. 
A lot of people have weighed in. Barack Obama has weighed in. Bernie Sanders has weighed in. Uh, Senator Warren has weighed in. And they never say the following magical words. Gavin Newsom has done a good job for the people of California. They can't defend his record on crime. They can't defend his record on homelessness. They can't defend the work, his record on the way he ignored science and shut down this state while his own children were enjoying in-person private education, while he was sitting up there at the French Laundry ignoring the masks and the social, social distancing mandates that the very people who drafted the mandates were sitting there with him. He can't defend his record on the fact that people are leaving California for the first time in our state's 170-year history. They can't defend his record on fire management. They can't defend his record on the fact that we're having rolling brownouts. They okay, he can communicate, and there's nothing really that you could say that is wrong. I mean, he's, no. he, I mean this is really his track record. No, I mean, all that stuff can be legitimately checked and is a real problem for Gavin Newsom. The problem is, is that Larry Elder, you know, is a conservative talk show host who is easily painted by the left, right? But, you know, he's an African-American man who is very smart and has a following and is going to be a, a tough contender if they get to that 50 percent. Yeah, uh, he's also born in South Central, who knows California like the back of his hand. He's hardly an outsider carpetbagger, grew up privileged. He grew up, he knows how bad the school system is, he thinks he can fix it. After doing interviewing Governor Schwarzenegger a few times, he'll realize if he does get the job, how hard it is to do anything as a Republican there because of their legislature. But uh, real quick, I want to get you on this reconciliation, what this week is going to look like. Uh, Bernie Sanders and Joe Manchin are going at it. It looks like Manchin says, put it all on pause. Cut 43. Let's look at where we've come in the last 20 years. In 20, in 2000, year 2000, 52% of our electricity came from coal. Only about 16% came from natural gas. And only about 9.5% came from renewables. 20 years to date. Okay, 2020? 19% from coal, 40% from natural gas, so, and up to 20% for renewables. The transition is happening. Now they're wanting to pay companies to do what they're already doing. It makes no sense to me at all for us to take billions of dollars and pay utilities for what they're going to do as the market transitions. We've proven that, and we will continue to transition. They're accelerating something that could be very, very vulnerable. I've been very clear, I think, and I think a strategic pause is necessary right now. We have the unknown, and the unknown is everything you've been talking about. COVID, what's going to happen with COVID, what it'll do to the economy. No one's talking about inflation or debt, and we should have that as part of the discussion. And then the geopolitical, what's going on around the world and what type of challenges we may face. So the unknown is there, and we don't know what that's going to, going to partake. What we do know is that basically the need for this, the emergency to do something in the next week is not there. So he does not want to sign up on $3.5 trillion. He says we haven't even gotten all the money pledged out the door yet. How does that make any sense? Now, Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer and the president don't want to hear it. Who's going to win on this, Brett? Joe Manchin. Um, I, you know, I think we've talked about there's concerns in Republican circles about does he really have the, the wherewithal to withstand the progressive uh, fire that's coming his way. And um, I think the answer is yes. And he's not alone. I mean, he's taking a lot of the focus and a lot of the brunt, but there's Kristen Cinema. There are others who whose names are not out there. Maggie Hassan, um, Mark Warner. Um, they are not the focus of the progressives. However, once the firewall is broken and Manchin and Cinema vote against it, you will see all kinds of other people 
Democrats, moderate Democrats, vote against this. Um, now, that's not a profile in courage because Manchin is the guy who's taking the heat. But nobody's going to primary Manchin in West Virginia. Trump won West Virginia exponentially, and um, he's standing on principle. Now, there's other things that he's going to compromise on. I'm not sure what the voting rights situation is going to be or how his vote's going to go. But on $3.5 trillion, it's not there, and uh, he's held the line. Yeah, on voting rights, you need more than a simple majority, so they want to do a special reconcili- a special filibuster, uh, essentially mulligan, to allow uh, federal the federalizing of the elections. Do you think that is going to come to pass? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure Manchin is going to hold the line on that, and it may be a hat tip to the progressives on that, and then you run into all kinds of you know, questions once you open the door to this about the filibuster is it you know suddenly broken down and you start voting on other things that way um we'll see i i think he's talked about voting rights in a different way i've noticed recently uh, but he's also in the seat of robert bird in west virginia who was a big traditionalist when it comes to the senate i think Manchin feels a lot um of respect towards that view. I mean, right now, you got to be looked at as, no one wants to say it, but he's the one who's standing in the way and, and had the courage to stand up against blowing up the filibuster, against packing the courts, uh, against this reconciliation package, the latest example, uh, pushing forward on the bipartisan deal, which I know a lot of Republicans don't like. That's fine. But I'd rather debate a bill that has bipartisan buy-in than just talk about something that has no interest in getting the other party involved I think that that's a lot more dangerous for the country. Joe Manchin's already done a great thing in terms of uh, from the public point of view. Wouldn't you say, Brett? Yeah, of course. I mean, he's put the focus back on you know our fiscal situation, which is unsustainable, no matter what anybody says. It's unsustainable in the long run. Eventually, you have to turn the aircraft carrier of finance around just a little bit. And um, we've tried it numerous times. It has not done it. Uh, President Obama had had the open door with the Simpson-Bowles negotiation that had Republicans and Democrats in, and he essentially gave that the Heisman Award. He, he did not do it because of politics, and President Trump could have gotten in there and done the same thing. He did not. So eventually we have to change. Otherwise, you know, it, it just the math doesn't work. Brett Baer, thanks so much. You always work. Uh, we're going to watch you tonight. And, of course, we're going to start uh, focus on the recall, reconciliation all week. Thanks, Brett. We'll see you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We're going to come back, finish up with calls. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Got a few more minutes here. Just before I get to the phones, I, I do want to announce uh, the president uh, the president and the Freedom Fighter uh, doing a tour, going to go on stage, be able, to be able to talk in a conversational way about all five history books, but especially Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. And I'm going to do it in Charleston, West Virginia, November 7th to start. Then Orlando, Florida, WDBO listeners, pay attention, November 21st. Ponte Vedra, Florida, uh, December 3rd. Love it there. Uh, off A1A. Uh, Clearwater, Florida, Saturday, December 4th. If you just go to briankillme.com, order tickets, pick out your seats. Those are VIP opportunities where I can relax and talk to you before, answer all questions about Fox or anything else. So 
uh, and The President Freedom Fighter, I think is probably the most important book I've ever done. And I hopefully you'll uh, join and see how these two are miraculous men, where they came from and what they did for this country. Uh, Barbara, you are listening in upstate New York. Hey, Barbara. Hi, Brian. Yes, what's on your mind? Oh, oh, this is an honor. Um, well, when when the news and not just Fox or any news station talks about people not getting the vaccine, there's reasons people don't get want to get the vaccine. Did you get it? it I have not. So why not? Because of the side effects that I'm afraid of. Um, you know, you do hear about people with the heart thing, you know, uh, women having menstrual um, ir- irregularities. Um, I mean, I, I'm good you, about taking vitamins. Right you now, do you talk to your doctor about it? Yes, I have. What did your doctor, doctor say? About it. Um, my doctors have recommended it. Um, although I have had other reactions to other um, vaccines. But well, you know so what I like, Barbara, about what you just said? You went to your doctor and you get the politicians out of it. So they know you. They know your personality. They know what they've given you before and how you reacted. To me, that makes sense. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.